Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and we have two guests today that I met at the International New Age Trade Show in Denver. They're both singer-songwriters, and the first one is David Young. Now, David has sold over a million CDs, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. He has just come out with a new book called Channeling Harrison. Welcome, David. Well, good day to you all. Or good night if you're in the, on the other side of the world. <laughs> David, tell us what happened to prompt this story, or what started to happen. I know it's an ongoing process. Yeah, it happens every day. Um, but in 2010, even though I really wasn't a big Beatles fan, because I was born in 1961 and... You know, I was more into hard rock music later in the 70s, like Led Zeppelin and ACDC and Bad Company, you know. Um, I wasn't a big Beatles fan. I thought that channeling was a joke because I thought anybody could just say anything and there was no way to prove or disprove any of it. And I was also afraid of ghosts. So when George initiated this thing in 2010, I really had no idea because I thought there, there'd have to be somebody else more qualified <laughs> for this thing than me. David, let uh, me stop you here and just tell our listeners that the channeling that you're referring to is George Harrison. So when you're channeling George, it's actually George Harrison of the Beatles. This is correct. And, you know, I've been trying to find the best way to describe this because I don't ever sit in front of an audience and say, oh, George wants me to tell you this or George wants me to tell you that. I don't ever do that. Um, I am a channel for George Harrison. So he, he picked me for this. Um, he was aware that I made spiritual music, you know, my flute music. I've sold over a million CDs. I've recorded 55 different albums that are used for meditation, relaxation. Um, I'm also a singer and a guitar player, but I keep that music separate from my healing, relaxing instrumental music, you know. And so thousands and thousands of people have used my music for um, healing, like in Reiki, uh, Reiki services or massage therapy or hospitals or anything that people needed to relax, get centered, or just to help heal. Um, that's the main outlet for my music, you know. And so George was aware of this. Um, later on in the show, I could tell you how he found out about me in the beginning um, from heaven. But, you know, I had a, a wonderful reputation for making what some people call the most heavenly music on earth. Now, and you, one had, of the, you had a, a long-standing spiritual practice, and you're, you're a yoga practitioner as well. Um, yeah, I started studying meditation and meditating 20 to 30 minutes a day, once or twice a day, starting in 1983. So when this experience with George started in 2010. I'd already been meditating, and I had been a student of Ekankar for 27 years when this thing started. Mm -hmm. And so I'd never had any of the experiences um, before this experience with George quite like what I was experiencing with George. It was, um, it was just out of this world. There was One of the things he used in the beginning he, is that he used these incredible set of 
synchronicities to show me that, you know, he was trying to communicate with me, you know. And that was really the only way I would open my mind to it, to tell you the truth, because I didn't believe in channeling. Now, I didn't believe that a person who was alive could have communication and a relationship with somebody who is no longer alive in this physical world anymore. My mom used to tell me that she felt my grandmother's presence most of the time since my grandmother passed away because my grandmother was such a wonderful woman, you know, mm-hmm. um, and she was just so loving and fun and everything. And But when my mom used to tell me that, that you know, she felt grandma on, you know, I, I would just let it go in one year, out the other year, because I had never had any experience like that. And whatever experience I had with, like, let's say, a negative experience with a spirit um, or what we call a ghost, it was such a negative experience. I didn't really want to have any, anything to do with anything like that because, you know, you know, I travel a lot. I'm in hotels a lot. And, you know, sometimes there are, you know, entities in rooms that are, are not pleasant. So I'd never really had a positive experience um, with, with so, a soul that was no longer alive. And did you actually have some negative experiences? Well, yeah. I mean, I was in Germany making a, making a film about five years ago, six years ago. And, you know, I was in this old castle and there was this entity that was keeping me awake all night. And I was afraid of ghosts before that happened. And it really was, um, you know, I wasn't, I don't like, I didn't like that stuff. You Put know? the nail so, in the coffin, so to speak. Yeah. So the, in the beginning, because um, from, you see, George, most people think of George as one of the Beatles or, you know, that he did this amazing thing with the concert for Bangladesh or that he and Eric Clapton, you know, shared the same wife at different times. You know what I mean? Like he was married to Patty first and then she was, um, she married Eric Clapton after their relationship ended, you know, and that's all I knew about George Harrison. You know, I really, um, I didn't know how to play any of his songs. I didn't know anything about his life at all. So, you know, I didn't, um, I wasn't open, I wasn't open to this thing. So he used this incredible set of synchronicities to like tap me on the shoulder and say, I'm here. I'm trying to get through to you. I think it's very interesting and admirable that you did not use the word synchronicity once in your book. Um, you were kind of building up this narrative of what happened to you, day to day. It's 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 a very compelling memoir. I have to say that I started it on the plane, and I couldn't put it down. It it's beautifully written. Again, channeling Harrison, but it tells your story and how it unfolded, and how George kind of wove his way into your life. Well, I have to say that um, first of all, it's called Channeling Harrison Book One. I'm three quarters done with Book Two because I finished book one in October. And my book shows the perspective um, to all you guys who are listening out there. Um, some people believe that you can have communication with someone who's no longer alive. And some people out there, you don't believe that, or you haven't had an experience like this. And so this was my first experience. So you can imagine how I resisted this because this was not in my belief system. You know, I believe that I could be a channel for the great spirit, you know, the 
whatever religion you belong to, you know, call it either the Holy Spirit or the sound current or the universal mind, whatever. Um, this is God's power that comes down from the highest heaven into this physical world, and we call it the Great Spirit. So because I had been playing music ever since I'm a kid, and I, I would feel this presence come through my music, and people would tell me of healings they would have, out-of-body experiences they would have. Um, I was aware that I was being a channel for this great spirit, like in a universal way. Um, I didn't think it was possible that somebody who wasn't alive anymore and who was in the spirit form could communicate with me because I'd never had that experience. So when you read my book, you see this coming from a very logical, grounded way of, you know, I already was successful. I had already sold a million CDs. You know, Paul McCartney had already started a standing ovation for me. I'd been nominated for a Grammy two times. You know, I had done so much work through my music, reaching millions of people. And um, so it comes from a very logical, grounded place of, what the heck is this? You know, why does this thing keep popping up, you know? Um, and so about five months into this experience where these different things keep popping up, and he's got my attention. I'm not thinking about him all the time, but the things that have happened are like, they are way too bizarre for me not to, you know, not to take note of them. And so I start dating this woman, and on my third date with her, she asked me what the highlight of my career is. I told her it was when uh, Paul McCartney started a standing ovation for me at his daughter Heather's launch of her artwork. And then this woman said, well, did you know that George Harrison used to babysit me? <laughs> and I was like, you know, inside my head, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me, <laughs> you know. Um, but we were in a coffee shop, so I'm trying to play it really cool because, you know, it's only our third date, you know. And as calmly and cool as I could, I said, well do you want to tell me a little bit about that? You know, and she said, well, my mom and dad went to the same yoga ashram in Tucson, Arizona in the early 70s. And when my mom and my biological dad split up, she and George started to date and um, they fell in love. And two months later, he moved me and my mom to England and I grew up in his big castle. So I was trying so hard to be calm and cool in this coffee shop because this completely connected with five months of crazy things that had happened with George. And this all started on 10-10-10, October 10, 2010. So for the two months that she and I dated, I thought this was all about her. I really didn't think that George wanted anything to do with me other than just that he knew I really liked her and he wanted her to be happy. So I thought, I'm a musician. I got long hair and dark eyes like he does and I meditate every day. I do yoga every day. Um, you know, I'm a spiritual guy. I even write songs. And, you know, I thought that he just thought I was a good match for his, <laughs> for his stepdaughter. That's the, what I thought it was all about, you know. Celestial and, matchmaker. Yeah, you know, because um, that's what my logical mind was trying to make sense out of the situation. Um, but it was so bizarre because, you know, she and I dated for two months. It's all, that whole story is in the book. I wrote 25 songs and recorded them in 30 days while I was dating this woman. Can you imagine 
Can you imagine what it's like to actually record 25 songs in 30 days? It takes the Eagles five years to record one album with 12 songs. Well, actually, I remember reading about the Beatles that they would, you know, almost uh, create songs on the fly in the studio. Well, this is one of the things that, that George has taught me about recently. You have to understand the first three years of this experience, I was in the dark. I didn't understand why he was contacting me. I didn't understand what this was all about. All I know is that these things kept happening, so I started writing them down. And that's what became the book that, that you just read. And, but recently, you know, in the last six months, everything changed uh, because I had this tremendous experience in Hawaii in meditation where he came through in this meditation, and oh my goodness, it was, it was beyond anything I'd ever experienced in my life. Um, he had spent most of his adult life expanding his spirituality, climbing the spiritual, spiritual ladder, and becoming the most spiritual being he could be. That was the most important thing in his life. Um, he felt that if, at the, if everybody experiences death at the end of this life, why not find out what, that's, what that world is like while you're still alive? This was something that we both had in common. That's why I started studying spirituality when I was 22, and he was about 22 as well. But he had dedicated so much time into developing his spirituality that, like many other people throughout history, history, he had the enlightenment. So he is able to appear to me in the same way that he's able to appear to other people. I mean, I never would have believed any of this stuff if I hadn't experienced this for myself. But in the last six months, um, as of last week, I had nine different people who had come into my life and because I had written this book or, and they had heard that I wrote the book or they had met me at a book signing or something like this, I had nine different people share stories with me about how George came to them and either consoled them or helped them with something in their life, either George or John Lennon. And just this past week where I met you at the International New Age Trade Show in Denver, um, while we were doing the book signing and there was that long line of people, I mean, I had so many people share intimate stories of spiritual experience that, that they had either with George or John that now I've lost count because I was up to nine before. Before the book signing started, it was up to 13 from the people who I, the four people I talked to the day before. And now I don't know how many, how many people there are. But all I know is that George and John had this way um, because they reached a higher level of spiritual awareness. They have a way of communicating with people who are still alive on earth. Now, at first, he communicated with you through synchronicities until he got your attention. Then he oh, started yeah. coming to you in dreams. And then yes. you actually started visions of him? Tell, tell us about that. Um, well, what happened in the dreams, it, it was a continual thing, like about every month or two. Um, one time he came to me in a dream and he said, I like to play tennis with soft grass behind me. And I, I, I said, wait a minute, did I hear you right? He says, yeah, I like to play tennis with soft grass behind me. He cracked up laughing and he disappeared, right? Now, that didn't make any logical sense to my mind. So I didn't know what to think of it. I actually woke up my girlfriend at the time. This was 2011. 
I told her what happened, and she said, can we go back to sleep? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, okay, we'll go back to sleep. Two weeks later, Rolling Stone magazine came out, and it was the 10th anniversary of when George crossed over, crossed over into the heavenly world. And um, in this magazine is a picture of George playing tennis with Bob Dylan with this soft grass behind him. And I had the dream two weeks before the magazine came out. I had another spiritual experience with him after he and his stepdaughter, after his stepdaughter and I um, stopped seeing each other. Um, I mean, I was in a terrible place, you know. I, this was very shortly, it was five months after I ended a nine-year relationship where I adopted my ex's two kids and we were losing a house in foreclosure. It was just a terrible time, you know. And then I met his stepdaughter five months later, and that didn't work out. So I was really, you know, I, I was going through a lot of emotional stuff. It was like a roller coaster, you know. And so he knew I was in terrible shape, and so I was meditating. He came into my third eye. He reached out his hand, and he shook my hand, and this electricity went into my hand. It went up through my arm, into my heart center, filled my head, went all the way down to my feet, and I woke up two hours later. Hmm. Did you ever have any experience like that with one of the Beatles? <laughs> I didn't have any experience like that at all. The other thing you did was you were obsessed with a painting. Uh, you were you were painting and it kept on working on it until it, it looked like what you had in your mind's eye. And then what happened? Well, let me give you a little bit of preempt on, on the painting, just for the people who haven't read the book get an idea. I could never draw... I would never think of painting, okay? Because I could barely draw a stick figure. And I decided that I was going to make a painting with four colors. And after painting this thing for 10 hours, you can read all the details in the book, but after painting it for 10 hours, three feet by four feet, I settled on three gray triangles surrounded by gold, gray, I'm sorry, by gold, burgundy, and brown. Three great triangles surrounded by gold, burgundy, and brown. So there was something about this painting that made me feel good. It, you know, it was just, uh, it was almost like a mandala on my wall, and I didn't know why. Two weeks later, my girlfriend at the time, back in 2011, she, uh, she bought me a book on George's life because it was the 10th anniversary of when he passed. And um, in this book was a picture of George wearing his favorite jacket, that he had custom made for him for the concert for Bangladesh. This jacket was a pattern of gray triangles surrounded by gold, burgundy, and brown. <laughs> the exact four colors in the exact pattern that I painted for no reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good thing for me because some, this was back in 2011, and some of my friends and family you know, thought I was losing it because I would tell them about these incredible synchronicities that were happening. And even though they were amazing stories, they just, I don't know, 2011, I think, was a little bit different time because, you know, now we have that, that TV show called The Long Island Medium. And people are watching this woman do these incredible things. I'm walking into restaurants where she doesn't know anybody, and she's telling people things about their parents or their grandparents that she would have no way of actually knowing, but for some reason she's able to see these things and hear these things. And it's one incredible story after another. So it, the good thing about her is that this stuff has become more and more mainstream. 
as time is going along. Do you get any sense from George um, what his ideal outcome is in, in using you as a channel? What does he want to communicate to the world? Well, I can answer that question a lot better now than I could last year or the year before, because as I said, I was completely in the dark with all this stuff. People would ask me this all the time, and two, three years ago, I wouldn't know what to say. Um, but now I can tell you. Um, this thing is going on with, there's so many different layers, as he calls this, okay? For one, our initial connection goes back, we've had so many lifetimes together where we were either brothers or closer than brothers. This is what he explained to me, okay? And so that part of, that's a big part of our connection. But the reason why this is coming out now is because for thousands of years, when we were Aboriginal people and Native American people, tuning in to your spiritual self through your psychic senses was a matter of life and death. You know, if you didn't listen to your gut feeling, to your intuition as you were going through a jungle, you weren't going to make it to the end of that jungle because you were going to be lunch for some animal. You know? And so it was so important to always be tuned in to your, to your psychic senses and to your, and to your soul and to the inner direction that spirit is trying to give each one of us. Okay? And part of this whole thing was having all the Aboriginal people believe that they can have, that they feel the presence of their ancestors. Now, another word for your ancestors is your grandparents, your parents, your loved ones who are not alive anymore. And so it was customary. It was a matter of life and death to actually be spiritual because your survival, dispense, um, your, your survival depended on you being in tune with the great spirit, with your spiritual self. Are you following me on that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so a couple of hundred years ago, once, for some reason, this whole thing, the more modern religion became a giant part of people's life, the more that this intuitive part of ourself was frowned upon. And people were, you know, really mistreated for even talking about feeling like they felt the presence of one of their loved ones. And so it became taboo for a couple of hundred years for anybody to talk about this stuff. But there is no reason that if you love somebody, you, you know the feeling when you meet a new friend, right? And you automatically connect with that new friend and you, you know, after 10 minutes, it's like, oh my God, this is my long lost sister or my long lost brother. How come I feel so close to you right off the bat? Mm -hmm. That is because you've had a previous life with this person. There was love that was between you in that previous life. And that love that was in your soul connected, reconnected with that love that's in this person's soul. And after 10 minutes, you feel like you've known this person forever because there's love there. Okay. Now, when we love somebody and that person translates or their physical body stops working and they go to their next place, to their life after this physical life, that love is still there. And so the source, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, 
has been directing George to work through me. And because the Beatles were so popular, they had such an influence of, on humanity that whatever they did, when they changed their haircuts, millions of people changed their haircuts. Whatever they talked about, I mean, George talked about yoga and meditation, self-realization back in the, the late 60s. He was the first one to go out on TV and use his celebrity and talk about spirituality in a way where everybody could understand it. So God wanted George to create this thing with me because God knows that the Beatles are very popular. They're popular on earth. They're also popular in heaven, in heaven because when people die, they go to heaven. And what were their favorite songs during their life? They remember those favorite songs. There are radio stations in heaven just like there are radio stations on earth. The, all the experiences that we have on earth we carry those experiences with us in our Akashic records into heaven before we take on our next life on earth. Or if we don't have to take on our next life on earth and we just remain in heaven because we've achieved a certain level of spiritual unfoldment, you know, we remember these songs. Everybody has favorite songs, you know, and the Beatles songs are such a part of our life. So God knew that all of this, by working through George was going to reach masses of people where if it wasn't George, it wouldn't have the same effect. And so, I mean, I, this is what I found out in the last six months. My job initially is, was to write about George having the enlightenment um, and share the story of how he got through to me through all these synchronicities at first to put me in a position where you know, the world could know that George had this enlightenment, you know. If he was a Catholic, they would have made him a saint for sure, just for what he did with the concert for Bangladesh. I mean, he was learning how to play sitar from Ravi Shankar, and it was 1971 when the, this terrible cyclone, it's like a hurricane, hit Bangladesh, Pakistan, and there were millions of people who were dying like flies out there in the desert. Ravi Shankar called up George and said, can you create a benefit concert to raise money for these starving people? Because there's millions of them. So in five weeks, George got together his famous friends like Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan and Leanne Russell and all these guys, and he put on this concert at Madison Square Garden on August 1st, 1971. Uh, it raised $10 million in the beginning, but over the past you know, 40 years since that happened, you know, it's been over $100 million. And millions of people survived because of, of what George did. He wasn't connected to any of those people. He just did it because he said Ravi asked him to do it, and it seemed like the right thing to do. And, wow, I mean, can you imagine doing something that literally saved a million or two million people? Let's cycle back to your comment about the importance of developing intuition, you know, and, and walking through the jungle. Sometimes I do get the feeling that in modern life we are walking through urban jungles. <laughs> well, depending on where you live, that's for sure. But I, I, I'm, that's just a joke. Um, absolutely. You know, it's, um, our life can be so much better if we listen to that, that inner voice that's guiding us. You know, I wrote another book before channeling Harrison, um, and it was called Divine Inner Guidance. And it was all different stories of my life of the incredible things that happened when I listened to my intuition and the incredible things that happened when I didn't listen to my intuition, you know? Um, 
And, you know, it's amazing how, you know, when we listen to our intuition, magical things happen in our life, you know, in a simple way, you know, very simple way. It's like, wow, look, this wonderful parking spot that I got, you know, somebody, sometimes people call that the, uh, the parking spot angels, you know, but it's really just listening to our intuition and going with the flow of what's guiding us. And, you know, when we're having a meditation and you get a certain feeling that prompts you to follow a certain instinct inside yourself during meditation. I mean, have you ever noticed how every time you do that, something magical happens in your meditation because you're following your intuition? Do you think that you became kind of open and sensitive and psychic because you were a, a musician? Or do you think that you became a musician because you were so sensitive and open? No, I, um, I, I don't think that was it. I, basically, I was in third grade. I started playing the recorder, this little Renaissance flute in third grade. I was the worst one in my class. But by a miracle, and this was the, the first miracle in my life, my class, after that year was over, over, was offered a second year, the recorder. That was 40-something years ago. I've never met anybody in my entire life that got two years of the recorder. But during that second year, I started getting the hang of it. And then by the end of the year, I could, you know, play name that tune. I just figured it out. And all my friends thought it was fun that we could play a game like that where they would think of a song. And I, no matter what it was, I could, I could play it. And so I didn't really look at that as a spiritual thing. I just looked at it as like a fun thing. You know, I liked music. And when I got good at it, I really liked it, you know, and then, um, I ended up studying from a guy in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra in New York. And, you know, as a little kid, I took classical music to a high level. Um, but I didn't really look at any of that stuff as spiritual stuff because I didn't get into spirituality until I was 22 years old. I was thinking more in terms of the vibrational quality of music um, and the sort of connection between um, being open to the vibrations of music versus be being open to the spiritual vibes, if you will. You know, it, it's just a question of your energy field expanding and being open and receptive. Well, I think it's a, it's a good question you have here, but you can use your musical talent for positive things or you can use your musical talent for negative things. I mean, when I was 19, I played in an ACDC tribute band. I dressed up like Angus Young in the blue suit and the hat and the schoolboy uniform and went out there and played Hell's Bells, Highway to Hell, you know. I mean, that's what I used my musical talent for. It wasn't until I was 22 when I started to meditate when I kind of lost my desire to play music with that kind of energy you know, and to use my talent for something that was more positive and more uplifting. And once I started doing that, then I could really see um, how the universe was using this talent that I had to touch people. And, you know, there are, there are times when I'm performing where it's really powerful feeling this energy coming through me because I can see it. I can see the look on people's faces that they are really being moved in a deep spiritual way. And that's rewarding. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful feeling. It's, did, did that 
answer your question well enough? Well, actually, it opens up another interesting question. Um, the power of music to move people to to places. I mean, music has been used uh, to accompany armies as they go uh, into battle to destroy other people. Music is isn't that lovely. Music is used, um, you know, in in the um, hip hop scene and the rap scene to re really express um, the the deep feelings of disconnect and, and social protest. The, the dark music that you were describing before is like our shadow side. It's, it's getting it out there, you know, uh, not attaching value judgments. It's, it's another way of connecting to something. I hear what you're saying. You know, first of all, I want to say that if I'm driving in the car, and if ACDC comes on the radio, I'm going to turn that radio as loud as my radio goes. I just want to say that for the record, because I have so much fun doing that ACDC tribute band that I, I can't help but, but crank it up as loud as my car will go. But that's like for five minutes. I mean, I wouldn't, right now with where I'm at, I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't want to listen to that vibration for an hour or two at all, you know, but for five minutes, it's a blast. But maybe it's uh, part of a, a, a path of growth. Of yeah, I mean, everything is a path of growth. And, you know, there's different times for different things. Like, if you're going out on a Saturday night with your friends and you're going to have some fun, um, you're probably not going to want to put on a meditation CD in your car of relaxing music on the way because you want to get your energy going. You, you know, there's certain music that is really fun. I mean, one of the things about George is that he made music that was upbeat, that was fun, but that was also spiritual, you know? So there, I guess you can combine the, the two of them. It's just that, you know, the I, whole... I think of it as, as a safety valve, you know, just mix... Well, um, the angry music is yeah. express... It's putting into words for people who are feeling alienated, disaffected the anger that they're feeling, and so they're resonating with that. So it could be a healthy way of getting it out. And maybe the more spiritual music is um, a way of opening people to other ways of relating to life. And music affects us in a way that words can't, and the combination of music and words actually uses right and left brain together to well, a full, whole body experience. Man, you, you really explained that well. I mean, I don't want anybody to think that I hate rock music. I, you know, as I said, I enjoy it. It's just I think there's a time and a place for it. And, you know, what you're saying about the left brain and the right brain, um, did you get to that part in the book where I'm talking about the musical affirmations, the yeah, albums? that I read the whole oh, book. Okay, cool. All right, so for the people who haven't read my book yet, um, when I was going through this really, really difficult time where my life was a roller coaster um i you know i use these affirmations i'm sure everybody's used affirmations to help you grow into a place of something positive when you're experiencing something negative in your life and so because i had so much stress and anxiety i made this affirmation that my mind is clear my mind is calm and because I'm musical, the more I said, my mind is clear, my mind is calm to myself, and I wrote on post-it notes, put it all over the place in my life, 
because um, I'm musical, I eventually started singing this to myself. And so instead of just saying it, I would sing it like, My mind is clean, my mind is calm, my mind is clean, my mind is calm. My mind is clean, my mind is calm, my mind is clean, my mind is calm. So what I did is I decided that to help me get through this terrible time, I would make a CD of one hour of relaxing flute music and relaxing spiritual sounding instruments. And every three or four minutes, I would sing in that really soft voice in the background on the CD. I would sing that, and I found that by listening to that CD, I was convincing myself that my mind could be clear and my mind could be calm. And what happened eventually after 15 minutes of listening to it, my mind would automatically follow the music. And as my mind was following the music, my mind was repeating, my mind is clear, my mind is calm. And so my body started to relax, because it was hearing this message from my mind, everything's fine, everything's clear, everything's calm, everything's good. And I would forget that I was uptight, stressed out, or filled with anxiety, because I would just follow along with the music. It made me feel good, it made me think that everything's going to be fine. And this was my own medicine that George... I didn't know that George had put me up to this. I had no idea. I had no idea that George was into mantras. If you watch the HBO special on George's life, in the second, in the second half of it, he talks about how important mantras are and how he learned about mantras through Hinduism, um, the Sanskrit mantras, and, and how, how the Sanskrit mantras were made to help people live a better life. And so the moms would sing these mantras, these positive mantras to their kids. And then when the kids grew up, they, those kids, the adults would sing their, these mantras to their kids. And from generation to generation, they were passing these positive songs down. Because if you have words, the words are stored in the right side of your brain by your right ear. And music is stored in the left side of your brain, on the top of your head. And what happens when you have words that are put to a melody. It connects your left brain and your right brain. It's like 10 times more powerful than each parts of those brains are by themselves. And what ends up happening is that that message in that melody never leaves your mind. That's why you have people with Alzheimer's disease that can't remember their name, can't remember their wife's name that they've been married to for 30 or 40 years. They can't remember their own kid's name. But you can ask them to sing Amazing Grace, and they can sing that from beginning to end. That's a hundred words. Why? It's because those words are attached to the melody. Just think of the words, let it be. How long was it until you heard that Beatles melody in your head of let it be? It's almost instantaneous. And so George started me making these, these CDs that were from my own medicine, because I needed something, because I was in a terrible place, you know. And then the second one he had me do was called, I Have Everything I Need and All is Well. Because back in 2011, I was going through this foreclosure. I had a 5,000 square foot mansion, and I went from living in this gigantic house to living in a 
basically a one-bedroom apartment. And um, so I would listen to this over and over. I have everything I need, and all is well. And what would happen was, as long as I was thinking in this moment, in this now, I have everything I need in this moment. I have air, air to breathe. I have food to eat, water to drink. I have the necessities of life. It's when I'm projecting into the future five years from now, ten years from now. What's going to happen to me five years from now? What's going to happen to me ten years from now? It's when I'm not in the moment is when I would get fear and anxiety and all these things that we we live with, you know. But this took my attention off of my fear of the future and put my attention on this moment. I have everything I need right now in this moment. So, David, tell me about uh, your next book. When is that going to come out, and how does that uh, bring the narrative forward? Well, when book one ends, I've had this giant experience with George in, in Hawaii. I've experienced him as this tremendous spiritual light, tremendous spiritual energy. And that's, that's where it ends off. So book two picks up with part of that experience that I did not share in book one in the chapter called Goodness. Okay, that, that, that's at the end of book one. And my whole, my whole experience went to a completely other level because after that experience, my spiritual senses, my psychic senses were so opened up that it was very difficult for me to sleep for over a month. I did sleep a little bit, but I just couldn't sleep because there was so much energy happening in me. I downloaded numerology without ever reading a book, and so I was seeing these pattern of numbers repeat in my life that were just incredible. And George brought in some of his friends with, um, into this experience that I had no idea um, was involved in, in this well, experience up until then. Listeners, if you want to hear what happens next, you'll just have to get book two. But in the meantime, yeah. we've been talking with David Young, who just came out with Channeling Harrison, book one. David, do you have a website that people can go to? Yeah, of course. It's davidyoungmusic.com. And you could also get my book at barnesandnoble.com or on amazon.com. And if you want to send me an email through my website or if you want to listen to any music samples on my website, I mean, I've recorded 55 different CDs. And so you can listen to like one song from CDs and they're categorized by, categorized by these are for meditation, um, these Christmas, these might be vocal albums, and so you can listen to whatever you want. Thank you, David. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and, and I really recommend your book. Thank you so much. Our next interview was done against the busy backdrop of the International New Age Trade Show. I am delighted that I was able to snag Barry Goldstein. Barry is the guiding spirit behind Think Big Records, and he is a Grammy-winning, a Grammy Award-winning composer and has a number of very well-known record albums. I think Ambiology is probably his signature thing. And he also has Heart Codes. Now, I want you to tell me, Barry, what are these records about and what is the purpose behind your music? What is your guiding purpose at the moment? Okay. Well, let's start off with ambiology. So, ambiology 
was created really out of my own necessity to move out of uh, the creative process of composing pop records that were taking me about 100 hours to create and moving into, instead of composing, um, to coming back to the heart mm-hmm. of where music was for me. So instead of composing music, I moved to decomposing through music. And um, I didn't think anyone would listen to hour-long pieces of music that really didn't have much melody um, in them, but they were all geared towards bringing the heart to a relaxed state Mm -hmm. at about 60 beats per minute. So I was my own experiment um, of relaxing myself and coming back to my own, you know, my own passions of of creating music in a different way. And uh, ended up, people encouraged me to share the music and over a 12-year period, it's been used for everything to delivering children into the world, um, to the other side of the circle of life, um, to souls leaving the planet and transitioning, mm-hmm. making it easier for the soul um, the soul to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and the series has been used for a lot of things, for, for working with um, children on autism spectrum, for ADHD, um, and lots of different ways. So I think the main reason why they have... Um, really worked in assisting people is because I had no attachment to it mm-hmm. or no expectation of, of how they would succeed. So what you're actually looking at is using music to affect our um, inner state, to affect our physiology, to affect our emotions, and not just for entertainment. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's music beyond art and entertainment. It's music as a transformational tool Mm -hmm. and as a practice. You know, just like anything else, we practice meditation, we practice writing if we're authors. Mm -hmm. You can have a musical practice if you bring the awareness in to use music on a daily basis. You could transform your life, and I believe in in a fairly short amount of time, because music is such a power tool. Um, it carries vibration, it carries intention, it carries emotion, and it affects and engages not only our brain, but our heart as well. Mm-hmm. I know in uh, Native American ceremonies, the beat of the drum um, is kind of geared towards entraining the heart, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. So we're taking that I would say technology that's been around for a really long time to get back into sync. You know, all of these words are really embedded in our language. And I think that if we can apply the principles of music into our lives, um, we could transform them. How do we create harmony in our lives? Mm -hmm. How can we become the orchestrators of things that we want to create in our lives? How do we move back into sync? Right, or back into rhythm. How do we become more sound humans? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these principles are not just musical, but they are ways of to live our lives. And how would you actually use music within a daily practice? Well, I always feel a great starting point for all of us. If you're not using music as a transformational tool, a great starting point is the three most important times of your day: are in the morning when you wake up, and sometime in the middle of your day and before you go to sleep at night. And how many of us wake up to the news and it's all downhill from there? Right, exactly. So uh, instead of tapping into our things to do for the Mm -hmm. day when we start out, 
what would happen if we move into the things to be, things we want to be on that day. I want to be compassionate. I want to be kind. Um, I want to have passion um, in a leadership role today, right? And when you create the space of the higher vibrational emotions holding your day, they become the chalice to hold your things to do of how you do those things, how you accomplish them. So you would select music that either has words that support those ideas or just the, the, the rhythm, the, the tone? Yeah, well, I, that's a great question because really I think it's different for every individual. Mm -hmm. um, if you ask yourself um, and meet yourself where you're at every day, right, and you can bring the awareness to identify what emotional state you're in at the beginning of your day. I say, wow, I feel, I feel a little bit sad today. Okay, great. Well, write down, sad. Right? Well, where do I want to go? I don't want to stay in that space. Or maybe you do. Maybe you need to move those emotions. Right? Where do you want to end up? Mm -hmm. right? I want to end up in a more peaceful state. Right? And then you ask yourself, well, what music is going to take me there? within my library of music. So I think the first step is, is developing your library. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. Right. So it, they call them records for a reason. They're like records, right, of what we love. Uh -huh. So um, that's, that's the larger spectrum, those three times of the day. But then what I love to do is get really specific. If you took your seven highest vibrational emotions, right, love, compassion, gratitude, kindness, whatever they are for you, and you created a playlist for each one of those, mm -hmm. right, with songs that transpo transport you to that or bridge that. Then when you're in these spaces where you feel immobile, right, or you can't move, and we all get in those states where we feel like, wow, I just, I can't move. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm in a block here. What can I use? Then they're ready for you. You have this tool saying, oh, music. Because we know that our state can shift so quickly with the use of music, mm -hmm. through our memories, through our the way they make our make us feel, not just in our, um, our emotional body, but physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, in the workshop that you gave, you showed a clip about the use of music with Alzheimer's patients. Mm -hmm. I found that totally fascinating. Mm -hmm. Tell my listeners about that. Yeah, well, it, it was based on uh, a, an older gentleman in an old age home who had really lost his connection, not just to God or spirituality, but really to the world in general. And what they did was what I call musical prescriptions for health. Mm -hmm. They treated him so specifically to find out from his relatives and loved ones what music he used to love to listen to. And literally, you saw in the video, when he listened to that music, he came alive. Um, and I say that it was, you know, music is the umbilical cord to God. Mm -hmm. So it's like a lifeline that was thrown to him. And as soon as that music came on, he came back. Not to full, you know, not to full awareness, but he had his connection back through the music. Well, it looked pretty full to me. It I mean, did he, look very full. He, right. was, he was speaking very articulately about the past. He was engaging in a way. I mean, he, he was sitting like a vegetable before, and it's like that music connected neural pathways that he hadn't been accessing at all. Right. Well, actually, the, the part of the brain that deals with memories as we know them, right, 
our time time space continuum. Mm-hmm. So if you would have asked him, um, tell us about 1957, right? He could not do that because that part of the brain was not functioning. But they say that the part of the brain that music works with is the last part that is lost in Alzheimer's patients. So as long as that part is still aware that we can utilize music to bring that lifeline back in. So when he heard that song, he didn't say, oh yeah, that happened in 1957, but he could remember, right, the feeling of that memory, right? He could remember Count Basie, Mm -hmm. right? And all of those things that he listened to in that time period that cannot be connected through the time space of his brain. Mm So the musical part of his brain is still there and able to connect him to part of who he was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fascinating. And you're doing a lot of work uh, in that area now, aren't you? Well, I'm doing a lot of work with utilizing music as a vehicle to transform. And that's part of it because, you know, for me, um, as you know, a lot of us have a consciousness, we understand that, but how do we get this work to mainstream? Mm -hmm. And that's where really um, the language of science comes in to to part, where we can communicate it in a different way, where people can understand that, and we can bring it into hospitals. We can doctors can see that um, this work. What I what I um, I lectured in front of 200 doctors with a similar presentation, and the questions that I gave to the doctors was, if I would have shown you the beginning of this video, right, where he was not connected, mm-hmm. and then the ending part of the video where he was, you know, back to being in, in that connected self, would you have guessed that music would, was the tool or the, the, the vehicle that took him there? And nobody would have guessed that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and that is where the awareness comes in of the power. Right. Would you have guessed that would have taken you from point A to point yeah. B? Music is the bridge. Music is the bridge. A powerful one at that. Mm-hmm. So um, how do people find out more about your music, Barry? Um, well, I'm easily accessible. You can find me at barrygoldsteinmusic.com. Um, my music is available on iTunes and CD Baby and Amazon. A lot of um, New York Times bestselling authors are using my music now, so you can find it in their bodies of work. Uh-huh. Dr. Joe Dispenza has used my music in his latest um, two accompanying CDs for the You Are the Placebo. Um, so you do background music as well? Yes, uh-huh. absolutely. For That's part of my mission as well, is to utilize music to synergize as a catalyst for other people's work mm-hmm. as well, who, who want to bring music into that. And beautiful music it is. Thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with me, Barry. Barry You're Goldstein. Welcome. Thank you, Marianne. Think Big Records. Bye. Well, I'd like to remind you to visit our website at ncreview.com for thousands of fascinating books and films. And I'd like to invite you to visit our newly launched media network, ncmedianet.com. ncmedianet.com, where we have a variety of hosts with a variety of fascinating perspectives on life, the universe, and everything. So until next week, when I hope you will be back to join us, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Bye.